Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of The Corner Booth. Happy to have you here today. I'm Chris Tripoli. And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And Barry, today we've got a great story. We're going to hear about starting up. We're going to hear about husband and wife working together. We're going to hear about operating roles, responsibilities, and some growth. So let me introduce Ronnie and Linda Wynn with Roostars. Hello and welcome to the Corner Booth. Hi, Chris. Hi, Barry. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for being here. here. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. So your concept is focused on Bun Me, I understand. And I always like to ask our guests, what got you into the restaurant business? What made you decide to start this concept? So Ronnie and I have been roommates when I was 18, he was 19, and we, going through school and everything, we've always worked at a restaurant to kind of get us through college and things like that. During that time, it's the easiest thing to do. So Ronnie actually got me my first job at a sushi restaurant back in the day. Since we've always just worked at restaurants after another, my parents had a grocery store back when I was little. So We've always been around people. I personally love working with people, meeting people. And so eventually, you know, Ronnie went to the Conrad Hilton College for hotel restaurant management at University of Houston. Mm -hmm. He went first and I went shortly after we opened our first location. Mm -hmm. My emphasis was catering management. Ronnie's was restaurant management. And we kind of just took our education background and did what we understood, did what we know and kind of have it bloomed to, you know, now working on unit three. Oh, excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And your menu's focused, I noticed. It seemed very focused, which makes a lot of sense to me. You could have probably gone other directions, but why Bun Me specifically? For us, we think Bun Me, it's getting more, I guess, known universally, mm-hmm. and people can associate it with Vietnamese cuisine. You can pretty much stuff it with anything and people kind of enjoy it. It's quick. It's easy to eat. We always knew we wanted to do something fast, casual. So order at the counter, pay for it, get your food and in and out. Most people we eat probably within 30 minutes to an hour. Most people have only an hour to eat. So serving a small but very committed menu where you just focus on that and you do a good job on it Mm -hmm. is better than having a variety of, you know, different items that some items will shine and some people will be like, why do they even have this on the menu? So for us, we knew that having a small menu and focusing more on that, we can focus more on execution, consistency, flavors, and just, you know, hoping that multiple units to come, everything will be consistent. I used to own a sandwich uh, cart, bun me cart concept, Vietnam too, so some of the recipe was passed down from her grandmother generation. That's wonderful. So grandmother's recipe from a sandwich cart. Yes. Back in my grandmother's backyard, you know, in Vietnam, oh. of the businesses that people have there is literally 
right in front of their homes. It's a small cart. You serve what you have and you're out and you're done for the day. So my mom and my grandmother have always been in a catering business, whether they did small weddings. So they've always known how to mass produce, but that same item, but do a good job. And for us, I come with a family of five girls in my family. Mm -hmm. So cooking, it was really big in our home. So I was very lucky to have my mom kind of teach me certain things, how to prep and flavors and kind of tweak it in our way where we can produce it. You know, in our country, they don't measure anything. But having my mom kind of teach me, we had to really kind of make it our own, but keep the flavors unique, but also create a brand as well. Mm -hmm. A brand around. Do you promote the authenticity of your product as part of your story? You know, and I'm glad that you asked that because most people come into Roostar and yes, we do have a brand. Yes, you know, we have a certain theme, a certain style. Most people come in and it always bugs me when they're like, oh, I want, I'm looking for something traditional and they walk off and leave. Oh, I'm looking for something authentic. And I almost feel like, well, what does that mean? You, you didn't even give us a chance just because, you know, our store is bright and vibrant. It's clean. It's organized. We have a brand. We have a logo. And so I feel like we get judged just by the outside before they even actually taste the food. And, you know, for Ronnie, too, we have some items that like we have our Thai, Thai chicken soup. And sometimes people are like, why do you have a Thai soup? We used to have a, a spicy papaya salad that unfortunately with the pandemic we removed due to just the amount of labor it takes to make it. Sure. So, but people don't understand that Ronnie used to, his grand, his grandmother and mom lives in Bangkok, Thailand. Mm -hmm. So that recipe was from his grandmother. So Uh it's sort of like, you know, we kind of make it things where, you know, who wouldn't want a nice salad to go with their bun mi, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we derive our menu and our flavors based on what we grew up, are passed down recipes from our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to commend you on your approach to menuing for a startup because you mentioned a couple of things um, that I know a lot of people, in fact, some of today's listeners uh, might be struggling with, and that's developing that first menu. It, it, it's too hard to have a concept in mind and stay as focused as it sounds like you were. Uh, because many startups start out just the opposite, where they can't say no to something that they're working on. They start with a menu that might be larger um, and uh, have many items, some of which are going to be better than others, uh, but it works them away from things like speed, efficiency, consistency, and quality because they're trying to do too much. Right. You went um, the opposite direction, uh, something that is a much more veteran in your approach. Good job. And I hope that people will understand more, maybe with, I don't know, pictures of grandmother at her cart or a family story to hang. Uh, the more they can understand that, that um, this is from your family recipe book to them, the better. Right. right. And not just family. Ronnie's the cook here, too. So he, he, he gets all the credit, too, but he doesn't like to, to acknowledge it. But... You know, at the end of the day for us, we we do what we can. And Ronnie's always telling me and our team, like, whatever we come up, come up with, a recipe, a concept, if we can't do it for the next 100 stores, we're not going to do it. It doesn't matter if customers are upset or, or, or sad or lose business. If we can't do it for the next 100 stores, it's not worth it. Or a, vendor, or a vendor that could keep up. 
Yes, yeah. or a vendor, yes. Our product. And I think now with food being digitized, um, there's a lot of what we find and there's a lot of customizations coming in. So by having a smaller menu, it just allows for the order accuracy and the time delivery to be better, right? So that's definitely um, a demand and, and our, our, a specialty of ours to, to get the food out, not only fast, uh, but accurately in accordance with all the modification. Well, it makes a lot of sense to me, Chris, to have a focused menu, a very craveable focused menu. Inventory is simpler. People know you for this. Um, it seems like the right direction uh, for a lot of new concepts in my mind, um, as menus are getting smaller anyway because of, of cost control issues. And I'll just assume, I don't know, that um, you, you know, you're, you're dealing with, uh, you know, gradual in, increases in the cost of your, your um, food as well, your ingredients, and that you have to consider that in your pricing. But right. what, do, what do you think, Chris? This, this seems like, this seems like the, the model I'd want to go with if I were going to start something today. Well, yeah, no, Barry, I think you're on target. Uh, yeah, and in fact, I want to kind of underscore the comment that Ronnie just made. Um, there is a consumer behavior, I think, going on that's redefining how we look at variety. Uh, variety now is looked at customization of what you're offering um, rather than many, many items on the menu. Mm -hmm. So having a well-focused direction and then being able to pivot to this request or that request fits right in with where people are trying to go. Um, People that are stuck with, say, a 40-item menu that is touching too many bases are having a you know harder time than obviously uh, you guys are going to have. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say you started out in the right direction. Right. Yeah, most restaurants when they have such a big menu, the problem that they have is whatever new menu item that they want to have, they have to purchase 10 new ingredients to have on a weekly, monthly basis. That now you have food food waste and more food costs. And what we try to focus on is the ingredients that we currently have, let's see what else we can do with it without having to bring new stuff in. And that's what we've been focused on these past few years. And it has really benefited us to where we don't end up getting too much new ingredients, wasting it because this item is not selling it or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Chris and I have been in the food business for quite some time. So we follow food trends. And so uh, uh, bun me is as ethnic, ethnic as it might've seemed 10 years ago is, is, is at least in a lot of markets, it's, it's, it's a well-known item. Um, right. How much is, is that the case in your market? Is there much ex explanation? Do people walk in and say, what's bun me? Um, uh, because it's not, what they were used to getting at some, you know, standard QSR or something like that. Is, is there education involved in, in that? Or do people, or like Chris and I, do people just get it? This is a traditional French Vietnamese sandwich that's become very popular in the last five years. Well, of course, there's, I, think, I would say it's 50 50. Most mm -hmm. of, if they're people that have had bun mi's before, they, they know what a bun mi is, they associate it with a sandwich. Um, and then there's some people who don't know what bun mi stands for. So bun mi means bread and Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes people will ask us, how do you pronounce it? What is it? And then we 
find, we embrace that and we kind of give them an education like, oh, so whenever you order, don't say you want this, say that. So most people would say, I, I want a bun me, but I don't want the bread. So we're like, okay, well, instead of getting the bun me, you can do a box salad or a rice box or noodles. And then they're like, oh, okay. And so we kind of tell them bun me means bread. So if you don't want a sandwich, you can get something else. And that's kind of like how our menu is derived from. If you don't want, there's variety, but it's very simplistic. It's, it, it's not, I guess, what's the word? Like when people come in, they don't feel awkward or whoa what what are they serving they they see pictures they can associate it with it and then you know most people love it it's easy to eat it's quick it's fast it's filling it's fresh ingredients so why not yeah i think our menu by design is pretty simple to to understand and to read to you're hitting the market well obviously because to barry's earlier point ethnicity is getting more and more mainstream you know as uh, the diner is getting uh, a little bit more knowledgeable. Um, I guess we could maybe thank Food Network for the last couple of decades for that. Yeah. Um, people are more knowledgeable now about things. And so it's a little easier for them to embrace uh, a wide variety of food from different countries. And so you're hitting the market right. Uh, speaking of that, tell us when, how, how many years have you been in business? When did you open? We opened our first location almost eight years ago. Okay. That was when Ronnie was fresh, fresh out of college. Eight, 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 years. eight years, I would say. Eight years. Yeah, eight Almost years nine. on our first one. Um, our second location has been open for about four years now, and we're working on the third one. Hopefully, it'll that'll open end of June, early July. In the east end. Yeah, in east the east end. end. Yes. So I have two Conrad Hilton grads in front of me, and so yeah. <laughs> uh, which we don't always have. So I'm going to make a big assumption that you went into this with a business plan, and you went in this with some type of idea where you were going. And so can you tell us a little bit about that blueprint? And um, to that, as an add-on to that question, is your growth strategy organic? Or did you kind of know how you wanted this thing to go from the get from the very beginning? So I'll, I'll kind of start this um, just because, you know, Ronnie and I have been together for so long. We're going on 16 years. But so when Ronnie was a student in college, I was working and he was going to school first. And, you know, with school projects and things like that, he was kind of essentially building his dream business plan for the so restaurant that we did not know if it will happen or not. Um, in fact, it didn't even come into fruition until he graduated. And I said, so are you going to go work for someone or you want to go open a restaurant? And so um, he was planning everything. He took a restaurant layout and design class. He befriended a lot of his professors. You know, wherever he worked, he was very um, transparent and told his bosses that he wanted to open up a restaurant. So they were very supportive. So a lot of things that he learned through, you know, his managers and previous bosses, they kind of helped him kind of create this idea that, hey, you know, I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. So at the moment he graduated, he went in it with a big old binder of his business plan. He already knew who, what he needed to do, how you can build it out, what you need to get. I mean, we, we opened like six credit cards at the time, borrowed money from family, and Ronnie found a donut shop. Not a recommended not a recommended thing, but you know, you do what you got to do, right? I mean, yeah. we wake up one day and said, "Hey, we're going to open a restaurant." Obviously, there were some some 
you know, risks involved in there. But, you know, he, he found a donut shop that kind of already had a vent hood already there. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's the spring branch location where first one is right now. Second generation. Second generation. So, you know, we, we painted walls and doors ourselves, um, equipment, we found all used stuff. So we kind of just went in there and everything was old school. We didn't have a POS. We bought, I think a cashier register from Walmart or somewhere. Yeah, um, <laughs> everything we used to write things down. Uh, Ronnie was the one that was cooking, grilling in the back. I was taking orders and then making the food. So we kind of just went in it just, Hey, we, we told ourselves if we fail, we're still young, we can get back on our feet. Let's just try it. Um, the first few months that we opened, we were very lucky to have family, you know, help us out. My, my parents, before we can, you know, afford equipment to cut vegetables or, you know, make mass produced stuff, my parents were in there tirelessly cutting things by hand and making things in small batches. And once we got through that, we had such an, a big support from the community in Spring Branch, really. The donut shop that was there prior to us have been there for 20 plus years. People walked in there thinking that they were going to get their donuts and saw us, gave us a chance. Um, I remember at that time, I think Spring Branch had a local newspaper, maybe. Yes. And someone had wrote an article about us. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of, we had nothing but word of mouth. Ronnie, we were kind of desperate. Ronnie, we made a lot of samples. We ran it to, you know, the car dealerships, the neighboring businesses here and there, kind of let them know that we're there. And that's kind of how we, I guess, told ourselves, like, I guess we have something going on here. Yeah, it's, I think it's just a true startup uh, culture. I remember uh, I signed the lease and we don't have a menu, don't have any recipe. We only barely have a, a few thousand dollars in our bank account. And I already got the key to the space. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm already <laughs> committed. We have a five-year contract. What do we do? So I've, I think within the next six months, we've learned how to use Photoshop. We self-taught ourselves how to Adobe. use Photoshop so that we can design our own menu, design all the graphics. Mm -hmm. And then we taught ourselves QuickBooks so we can get some, um, some accounting and bookkeeping going. And then we, we needed a website. So we taught ourselves how to uh, work with WordPress. So we were just like every day we would be at Barnes and Noble or at the Hilton Library, um, just kind of like a sort of um, just researching and setting it up. And of course, like YouTube and all that stuff. Uh, so it really, uh, I guess, like now looking back, it's those days that we really, really, it's really memorable. Yes. Yeah, that we miss most now that things are more stable. And there's a clear direction on where we're going. But just looking back is those days that we, we hustle and trying to figure out uh, how we're going to build this, that it's, it's very memorable. And, uh, and as far as like growing, I think we grew organically. Uh, we really did so. one, one table at a time, one customer at a time, one day at a time, doing it right, putting our heart and soul into it and continue on, continuing on improving. And just here we are just nine years later on the third unit. So I think we grew up. Yeah. What's the growth strategy from here? Um, I'm assuming you've got your systems and, and your the way of, you've got things kind of nailed down to some degree. Um, it, it's got to change your your outlook in terms of your growth potential. What what's 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 your goal and, and how are you going to make this happen? Is it going to be regional? Are you going statewide, national? What 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 do you think? Well, I, I made Ronnie promise me that this third location is 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 it and because you know we want to start having a family we 
we need to start settling down a bit. So we have to stay focused in that. And in order to have that, I think we're going to put our heart and soul in this third location in the East End. And we'll, we'll work on that for a few years and then kind of slow down a bit to focus more, letting our team kind of run the show and do what they're, they are capable of so that we can start worrying about ourselves. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you can't work so hard and not be able to enjoy yeah, as well. Yeah, we were, I guess like we're coming into this with a lot of awareness. I think what's important is that what makes us happy, what makes the individual happy and everybody defines happiness uh, differently. We know a lot of operators out there who have six or seven locations and then they end up closing it down, selling it, and they decide that they were happy with just one location. Mm -hmm. right? So for, for us, is um, it's not, it's, it's what makes us happy and what makes sense for our team. Of course, that, that, with that being in mind too, in the business world, there's only two ways to go, either up or down. Right. right? So we, we're always like to constantly evolving and, and learning the game and changing and adapting um, because I guess, um, I guess like those, those, those challenges, those challenges are gonna, it's gonna make us uh, better operators. Yes. Right. And then it's going to make us more, more competitive because as you may know, this market is very, very sure. competitive and we don't, we don't want a new kid to come in later and kick our butt. Right. <laughs> right? And, um, and I guess another note to that would be, um, yeah. By, and also by expanding to, uh, it allows, um, opportunity for our staff to grow it allows for some purchasing power brand equity is going to increase and i think i think another thing too is entrepreneurs we work best uh, when we deal with new challenges right mm -hmm. i think making it through the pandemic and through the hurricane and all these unexpected occurrences really made us stronger operators and it's a lot of it is foundational work um that that we're able to get through the through the through the all the curveballs that have been thrown at us Yes, absolutely. So that's, so if we were to expand or grow more, it would be partly just to, I guess, expand our, our, our game as, as restaurant operators. Um, but for now, it's just one store at a time and we're, we're just very laser beam focused on getting the store done right first. Given your model, I'm just guessing that you may have had an easier time than other operators in terms of the pandemic being more oriented around maybe grab and go curbside, but I may be underestimating your challenges as well. Um, what what happened during that time? Um, were you in were you in better shape than, than other operators because of your, your model or were there specific challenges that really tested you for a while? I think for for us, we were very lucky to kind of already have the systems in place. And by when I say systems are we already had an app that um, we've been using already. We've already been partnered with third-party um, delivery services like Uber, DoorDash, Postmates, Grubhub. So all of our team has already been trained. And when the pandemic hit, there was no diners, everything was takeout. We already had all the systems in place. At that moment, we, have to, we had to remove items on the menu that had too much labor. We had to divert the focus on employee training to packaging, order accuracy, um, consistency, because, you know, some items typically taste better there. Now you have to package it and you have to put it in a way where it's presentable, right? Because people uh -huh, sure. home. Then we have to worry about reheating it and things like that. Um, so we had to 
focus more on that side. And of course, with packaging um, to go orders increasing than it was before, that was very key because the last thing you want is having your your team package food and they're missing items. Then you have to worry about, you know, mm-hmm. all the safety factors because of the pandemic. But I would say the most challenging is just kind of focusing more on that customer service side without having the customer in front of you <laughs> kind of thing. So that was a little bit challenging for us, but our team has already been well-trained on that area. It was just more of getting out, getting out fast because that was the, the key thing and, and safely for the guests. So training our team to make sure we are properly handling food correctly, cleaning surface areas often, and just really abiding by all the guidelines. Uh, did you need to um, cut back on staff as well? Uh, or did you, were some people furloughed or were you able to you know, pivot your business to the to-go delivery model and keep everybody busy? We were very lucky to never had to lay off or follow anyone. We've opened every day since the pandemic and we were just very lucky. You know, the last thing, we had a lot of people on the line that, you know, I have, we have one crew member that she has six kids and every day as, as challenging as it was, Ronnie was, we got to figure out something to do. We got to figure out what we can do. Um, and at one period we did, we, we, we decided to let's support the community like we always have. First responders, nurses got free meals every day from a certain time period. Mm-hmm. So, so the food never got into waste. So whatever we did each day, each week, we found something that we did where it would be a reason for our team to be there to cook, to serve. So we were very lucky in that aspect and we, we were always here for the community. And at the end of the day, I think that's why we are still here and operating today and opening a new unit during all this pandemic is because we never stopped. And we never, even if it meant Ronnie and I had to run back and forth to do what we had to do, cause that's how it was. No one was delivering anything. We couldn't find bread. We had to go driving from five, seven different places to look for ingredients. All of our vendors were very great to help us with that as well. It was tough, but you still had to make it happen because the customers still have to eat. So we're in an industry where people need to be fed. So we knew that it wasn't going to be, you know, difficult. And we've always had rainy day funds to support, you know, should something happen. But we're very lucky to, to, to serve food that's easy to eat, quick, fast, and affordable as well. I'd say the community was very, very fortunate to have you. Yeah. Um, you, you did very, very well for an awful lot of people. Um, and during that time, you were planning continued growth, because I guess it was during this last year that you were spending your time development on the opening strategy of the third store. Is that right? Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, we were on our social media and promoting and marketing our brand every single day. And there's just something about the, the Facebook and Instagram algorithm that when you post to two to three contents a day, you get more exposure. And we found that during the pandemic, when people were staying home, they were consuming more content. So by, by pushing out, by constantly uh, allowing, uh, requiring our managers to put out a content or two contents a day really helps bring in uh, engaging our, our guests and bring bring in those uh, digital orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we incentivize our managers. We give all of our managers access to our Instagram and Facebook, and we ask them to each day post a content. 
we don't care what it is post the food post the hat post the chair like anything right so any story and then by the if we don't like the content then we can all we, we as admin always have access access to it to remove it edit it or control it but it is required now not required but it is suggested that all of our managers because that's one of our evaluation for our managers too is are you actively and helping us engaging our audience through social media so during the pandemic uh, because we have such an online presence, that really helps letting people know that hey we're still serving you can uber eats you can doordash you can download through our apps or use curbside or whatnot mm -hmm. so it's a dialogue that we've we always had it for the past eight years but it became really strong and more engaging during the pandemic and we realized that and we we monetize on it and convert upon it mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. Is Facebook stronger than Instagram or is it a combined approach? I know Instagram is becoming, well, it's been around for a long time, but uh, it's being utilized, uh, particularly with younger consumers, even more strongly than it has been. Are you getting a sense of, of, of which one is reaping the most um, visibility and, and, uh, and business for you? We would, I would say both because what mm -hmm. you now post on Instagram, there's a feature where you can yeah. connect your Facebook and it'll post it directly to Facebook. So yeah. it's kind of a win-win. Sure, sure, that's right. And there's TikTok and uh, TikTok and LinkedIn now are the two platforms that you would reach more organic reach because Instagram and Facebook now it's almost like a lot of it's ads and advertising now. So it's, it's difficult to get the brand out in front of the user. Mm -hmm. So um, TikTok and LinkedIn are the next frontier that we're, we're, we're gonna try to understand and you know, get, some, get our content out through there. Sure, sure. Well, during that same period of time that um, digital marketing has pivoted and you're, you seem to master those changes, why don't you walk us through uh, the other areas of the business that you've been able to either do differently or how technology maybe has impacted you from going through that first opening to the second startup and from the second to the third. Um, what were, how did you overcome the challenges? What are the new, uh, uh, you know, uh, what are the new steps that you're taking? What are new systems you're using? So of course, when I mentioned earlier in the beginning, when we first operated, we had just an old school cashier wrote everything down. Eventually, a year into the business, we were able to um, get a point of sale system. So that was really big. It helped with operations. Hunger Rush. Yes, we use Hunger Rush. And eventually, three years later, they came out with the app, which is that app that we've always had before the pandemic. So technology has always been big in our operation. Um, right now, we are getting ready to get a, um, you know, a movable tablet that kind of like when you go to Chick-fil-A, they can order food from your car. So they came out with that. And so now we're, part, we're getting that installed soon. We just installed new um, touch screens that, and eventually a self kiosk ordering too. So we're really trying to make it to where it's seamless for guests and guests who are our regulars who don't wanna have to stand in line and wait, they can order ahead through our app. They can order through Uber, DoorDash, Postmates if they want it delivered. And so we've kind of 
evolved in our, our technology base and people love it. We've had nothing but good feedback. We just upgraded our um, app to a point system now. We took the approach of like Chick-fil-A and the Starbucks app where when you spend an X amount you get X stars, these stars become um, essentially money that you can use towards free items. So we mm -hmm. found that that alone has really increased you know, our, our orders directly to the business as opposed to ordering through a third party because now Uber, mm -hmm. DoorDash, Postmates, you can order through them, but pick up yourselves. And so we're trying to get them to order directly from the business so you're supporting us directly. So we're trying to be competitive in that way, but also still keep our partnerships with these delivery platforms that uh, helped us kind of get through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So Chris, um, in terms of, uh this approach to the growth model and this approach to uh, uh, technology, um, where else do you see that this type of this this kind of concept can can go in terms of uh, of even becoming more effective? I honestly, it, it sounds like they figured everything out. Well, I bet um, uh, technology is either currently used or they'll probably soon start using that um, so that they can more easily manage the three units from wherever they are. Cloud-based technology to pull from the POS, uh, labor reports, daily sales reports. I wouldn't be surprised, I'm seeing heads nodding already, if they're already doing technology management of product. So to extend weekly inventory, uh, that's normally the next natural step. Uh, why don't you guys comment on how you know, behind the scenes, what the customers don't see, how you can utilize technology to more easily grow and manage. Oh, absolutely. We talk, uh, we talk about Homebase. Yeah, like so we, the... we use a scheduling app called Homebase, and now you can do on, onboarding on top of Homebase now. So oh. our main you know, get people on board, paperwork, all that stuff is in the palm of your hands. We can do interviews virtually now. Um, an applicant can fill out and it's integrated with uh, Indeed as well. So a lot of our hiring is, is kind of virtual, really. Um, we use a third party for our HR as well. So that's very helpful. Um, and we just hired two freelance uh, HR uh, individuals to assist us with all the human resource uh, and onboarding and recruiting. So that's been really helpful to have their help. And then they're learning the software setting it up for us on the app and then coming into the store and teach us how to uh, use it. So that's been really helpful, right? That's yeah, so we, we're trying to run it to where it's paperless. We don't, it's secure, it's safe. If we need to pull it up for any reason, we can. Yeah. Um, and, it, and if we didn't have this in place, especially during the entire of last year, when there was a lot of like, unemployment claims, for example, we had all these paperwork already there and it was easy for us to kind of fill out all these paperwork because it was already there. And we're very organized in, in that aspect. Smart guys, that's very smart um, to be again, small, two units, soon to have three, um, but already realizing the ease of operations, the improved accuracy of onboarding, virtual video training, um, you know, these are things that, again, years ago may not have been there or only available for really large companies. Uh, the technology wasn't as good. It was also really expensive. But to seize that opportunity now uh, is going to help you uh, operate easier uh, and, you know, grow more effectively. 
You know, it's funny. We talk, we talk to a lot of people, Chris, and um, of all different sizes and, you know, you can forget what a big job HR is or even a two, three unit concept, how much time that can take. And it's really encouraging to me that there is this growing body of technology that, that just takes some of the pressure off because of all the regular regulatory issues, unemployment, workers comp and everything. I mean, it, it could eat up a lot of your time. Uh, yeah, you're right. you're right. And you know, while we're on the people process, maybe you could enlighten us as to how your staff selection process is what you're looking for. You've grown already and you're continuing to grow. So that means management development. Uh, where do you find how do you develop, um, you know, your management talent? So for us, we like looking for if we have somebody that's been with us for a long period of time or anyone new, we always ask, hey, do you know someone that needs a job? It's kind of referral based. So we have an incentive. If any of our crew members refer someone and they pass training, they get $50 bonus. Um, usually whoever they refer, they will also be in charge of training that individual. So when they, they go through what we call a 10 day training that we've set up, then, and they pass that 10 day training, they also get a, a $50 incentive to kind of, um, you know, this per pat in the back that you train this individual and they pass that 10, 10 day training. So we always go through that way. But of course, for us now too, back in the day, we weren't able to afford someone that had, you know, a high level of education or experience in certain areas. Um, but now we're in a point where we're having our third unit, we're looking for talent that are experienced, that kind of have the same passion and we're, we're ready to kind of build that team around that. But that's not to say we're more than happy to hire people that don't have experience because, you know, the, we can train them everything from start to finish. But being in the East End location closer to um, University of Houston and we're alumni there, we really hope that we can gain potential students or graduates from there to help us kind of build that um, team on that side. And social, I think social media too has been really helpful in for us to engage our team. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of our team members, um, it's hard for us. Then it's easier for us to engage them. Sometimes it depends on the individual, but sometimes there there are um, are there are some colleagues that just would never reply to a text or a phone call. And some of the best some of the best way that we found that 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 gets them excited and gets them engaged is through social media. So we connect through LinkedIn, through Instagram, through Facebook. We're always, uh, you know, we would run clubhouse, we would run meetings through there. We would have a dialogue through there. Um, so that's also a way for us to tell the story on what we as owners are, are doing outside of the business and who we are. Um, because I think a lot of people will work for you because of what you offer them, but they will stay with you because of who you are. So taking the social media, using that as a portal to communicate with Gen X and the millennials is also one of the strategic things we do to keep our employees. And we never had, for the past eight years in business, we never have any um, turn, turnover or staff issues until recently due to the pandemic. Um, but all of our managers have been with us an average like four or five years so yes. we've never it's not really a concern uh, we're very blessed to, to that it's not fortunate that it's not a maybe because we're, we're operating at a smaller level but we just always had a good sort of uh, retention with with the teams that we have 
uh, regardless of their backgrounds and, and what, what, which generation or demographic they're from. Yes. And our, our management mm-hmm. style has really evolved over the years. You know, we, um, you know, at least for me personally, I used to always look for problems, but I found that, you know, you don't want the moment you step foot in there and they're just scared of seeing you, you want to support them. You want to en- embrace them and coach them. So our management style now is pretty much, it's okay if you make mistakes, just as long as you learn from them. We look at the bigger picture. We don't look at that one small mistake. We also try to be servant leaders to them. You know, we always tell them that we're here to work for you. What do you need us to do mm-hmm. to help you to make this job better for you? So the more we're like that with them, our managers kind of act the same way to their team. So we've, you know, and now they're gotten, and our managers are very young. Most of them, pretty much all of them don't really have experience in what we do. And we've kind of help them become leaders on their own. And in order for us to do that, we have to set great examples for them to, to believe and follow. And that's kind of what our approach has been. We're very family oriented. We run, you know, a family type of business. It's just not our family, it's just their family. You know, we have mom and daughter working together, brother, sister working together, three sisters that work together. So I always say that our families, our store, our restaurants, our family run, just not our family. It, it used to be, it used to be kid ran. Yeah. Because when we first started, um, I was 24 and she was 23. And not intentionally, but it's just, we didn't really hire anybody over 30 until five years or four years later. So it's just a bunch of kids and trying to figure it out how to do the schedule, how to, you know, get the uniform right, get the food right. It's just a true startup culture of building something from, from scratch and from nothing, you know, until we didn't even know how to do the schedule until some of our team members didn't show up. And we're just, I guess we're going to have to build a schedule now. Right. So <laughs> as the years progress, you know, one, one advice would yeah. be in, invest in marketing, invest in systems and processes, whether it's an HR, whether it's um, an accounting firm, whether it's finding good lenders and bankers, just because when there's things, when you're running an, an, an operation, you need to focus on what you can do. There's a lot of other things that you, we source out. We source out because we just can't handle it all. Um, and that's just the best advice we would give. Just make sure you have a good team to kind of run other areas of things that we can't manage on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So we source out human resource accounting. We partner with it. That's, that's sort of was on our objective for 2020 was to find a good human resource company, a good accounting company, a good law firm, and a good lender because to grow the business uh, and to grow fast and with quality and standards, I think having access to cash is very important and to build that relationship with the lending institution has helped. And we find that borrowing, raising money from the lenders too, um, you really get a partner when you're starting to borrow big bucks, right? With the PPP and the SBA programs and all that, uh, it really helps to have some uh, track record and some uh, previous transaction with the with the lenders it makes everything so much smoother and 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 easier and I always recommend hiring hiring um, hiring people that you can't afford right so for example our, our this accounting firm that we hired they're based out in Austin they handle hundreds of bars and accounts restaurants and that's all they do 
Um, and our a law firm that we partner with, they're, they're a big law firm. They're an agency of uh, eight people within different departments. And our, our, and our human resource company that we've worked with in the past have worked with, um, you know, big, big companies up to 500 employees. So, you know, just hired, it's always a good rule of thumb to, to I guess, like uh, hire more than you can afford so that you can leverage on the quality and the expertise that they can bring to the table to help grow the company. I think I went on a tangent, but yes. <laughs> you know, that's great advice and it's, it's, uh, it's true economy. Now, now going into the third unit, um, things are obviously a lot different than they were when you were actually cutting vegetables and, and cooking and, and things like that. And so the question I have at your level, how much time are you working on the business versus in the business? And I ask that because most independent operators I speak to at this level, they, they're not hands off. They're, 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 they want to, they're tasting, they're talking to people, they're in the stores. On the other hand, they have to have time to work on the marketing. They have to work on, on the social media. They have to have meetings with their accountant and their lawyers and their HR people. Have you found a balance where you just kind of do what feels right? So we do have a balance. Um, Ronnie manages all the meetings, the build outs, making sure things are you know running smoothly, um, being the handy guy, fixing things, calling this person, that person, get things fixed. And for me, I'm more kind of both. I, I mainly work in the business. So we kind of split it up and we kind of each have our own role that manages those areas. And it's been working great. Um, Ronnie knows what he shouldn't get involved when it's my area and I don't touch things that he manages. So it kind of works out. But, you know, we're, we're lucky now having two units, but working on a third one, of course, that's going to be a new challenge for us. It's a new market that we have to kind of understand. And I think having that third unit is going to challenge not just us as operators, but also our team. So we're looking forward to that challenge soon. Yeah, I've always encouraged our managers to every day, every day trying to do one or two things that put you out of your comfort zone. Every day trying to do something that scares you because that's how you grow. That's how you grow. And um, I guess by expanding and by taking on new tasks and new responsibilities that we're not but that we're not comfortable with or familiar with, um, I think it's going to help us grow as a team. Like opening this third location, um, yeah, I mean it's a new market. We have to build a new team. You know, we have to deal with new vendors and suppliers, and there's inflations and all that stuff. We're very uncomfortable, but you know what? Um, we're very passionate and very confident that we will figure it out a way and um and if the company is not if our problems are not being replaced by newer problems then we're not growing right mm -hmm. so i think that's part of the game it's something we signed up for it's something that we accept and committed to so we really look forward to to continuing on growing and and, and learning learning the process and coaching and leading our team along the way what is the timeline um, I mean, we've talked about the third unit a lot. What is the timeline? Is it right around the corner or do you have a, a little more time before it opens? It's, it's we're thinking the end of June to early June. Wow. So that's very, coming very up very good. quickly. Yeah. yeah. So that means you're at a very crucial point. Yes. Where construction timeline and operations are overlapping. And, yes. Uh, well, the health department I mean, approved all <laughs> the inspections yesterday. So that was a, a good 
news. Uh, but now we're waiting on what else are we waiting on right now? Uh, we're just getting our CEO next week and we're, we're good to go. We're going to start hiring um, and then start the furniture, tables, everything's already set. We're pretty much ready to go. We'd just love to have y'all come by for our uh, song. Love to. We're, we're fortunate to have an hour of your time right now, it seems. <laughs> it seems like time is something you have a lot to, a lot to give away right now. We always have time. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think success for us is uh, spending time with whoever we want to, whenever we want to, and just uh, you know, however we want to. So we're trying to build a business that that enable us that freedom. It's also a very challenging task that I think we're getting close. <laughs> well, you you talked a little bit uh, about uh, what I would say are very very. Um, well-established, successful leadership tools when you were talking about your roles and responsibilities. Uh, when you mentioned going to the units, not just to see or solve a problem, but going to a unit to develop, lead, support, assist, etc. So with that third unit now, I think the next point that I would have for you to walk us through is, <clears throat> with, do you see any regularity or need for, after the three unit for, um, management continued education. Do you have, uh, in addition to daily communication, a weekly um, planning guide? Um, how do you do management meetings and, and inform key staff to keep them engaged? Um, because with three stores now, or soon, it's gonna it's going to, you know, get you kind of crazy. Yeah. So for for us, we kind of just we talk to our team every day. Right. Um, if they don't see us, we're there. Um, they, there's groups that we created where if they text or they need something, we've trained everybody to where they kind of support each other. So one manager from Roostar 2 um, might see a message that Roostar 1 needs and the two of them can communicate and get it done, whether one person who has someone that can drive out to get more bread or get produce that we just ran out or someone forgot to order because those things happen on a day-to-day -day basis. We've made it to where they kind of support each other, if that makes sense. And then we always tell them if it's a, absolutely an emergency, Ronnie and Linda are always here to help you. If, how we've made it is to where it's easy, where if they if they can't get it through each other or from each other through two units, then we'll always be there to help them or communicate with our vendors and say, hey, can you help us out? Can you deliver whether it's the owner or someone of that company will help us too. So we've built a good, strong relationship in that aspect. When things break down, uh, our team knows what plumber to call, what electrician to call. So they pretty much have all the resources there. It's just being able to think on your feet when it happens and kind of stay calm at all times and just find the solution. Because most of the time when things happen, you know, you, you naturally freak out and uh, it's kind of mind over matter, right? You want to focus on, okay, what can we do? And there's times where if you can't, if you can't get it done, move on. Don't let the customer suffer. Don't serve that item if you can't. So we kind of just roll with it. And we've made it to where our team has that freedom to do that. An autonomous to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we're not worried about losing customers or costs. We'd rather them keep their sanity and their focus and holding their team accountable and focused than worrying about the little things if you can't serve something just because it's out at that moment. So we've kind of made it to where that yeah, we're, we're full-time listeners. <laughs> yeah. We're always there for do. them. <laughs> I, and I don't think we started out with six staff and um, now we have 40 by the end of this year, we, sh we have 60. And I've always told myself, no matter how, how many, 
team members that we have, colleagues that we have, I will, we will always have time for them. Yes. We will always take the time to, to, to talk to everybody, to listen to everybody and make sure that our managers are, are doing the same and to support them mentally and emotionally uh, where we can. And a lot of our bonus structures now, uh, I just got done with our, our meetings with the HR last week, it's going to be converted to where it's incentivized based on how supportive they are to our team, not on food costs or sales, uh, or prime costs or labor costs, not not primarily on that, not, not really sales driven, but more on like, okay, is our team feeling engaging? Is our team feeling that you're supporting them and you're listening to them? So we're in the process of converting our bonus structure into in, in that direction. So their performance and their bonus structure will be based on what their team says about them. If they've had mm, any impact this, in their growth and their learning. It's and, a point system. And it, yeah. it's good because it keeps everybody on their toes. But, yeah. you know, when we open the third location, yeah. yes, I'll, I'll probably be the one opening up that third store, doing what I do best. And Ronnie's going to kind of be running between the other two, making sure things are okay and kind of assist us with the third store. But you know, we, we love the challenge and I like the, the, the pressure. So. <laughs> yes. And I think a lot of uh, the challenge now that I think, I think kids, I mean, I think a lot of um, like my little sister is working for us mm-hmm. and her little sister used, used to work for you, but my one, my little sister, she's managing one of the store now. And I'm very blessed to have my, uh, have her with us. And she is going to, she's planning, she's transferring to U of H for the same program She's following our footsteps. Yeah. Wow. And one thing that we found is that kids these days, they don't, I mean, the doing part is easy and they don't lack intelligence. You know, I think what they lack is leadership and what they lack is the uh, emotional and mental support because starting a business is easy, I think, you know, but the process of building it, running it, the ups and the downs and, and building the team, building the team and all the challenges, doing the same thing over and over and over in years. I think that's the part that is very hard mentally and emotionally. And I think having a culture that supports uh, our the individuals and the manage, management team and the staff uh, on that mo- mental and emotional side uh, can really help because mm-hmm. um, yeah, not everybody has a great childhood. <laughs> Uh, growing up and it's just um yeah restaurant is just very demanding and challenging and we're aware of that and we're trying our best to to support all of our team as best as we could and with this third store will come hopefully the, the health benefits the 401k the paid vacation the tuition reimbursement and all that stuff for our team you know it's funny chris and um not funny it's 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 impressive i i, I talk to successful operators um such as you all and, you know, we're all reading about the labor woes and, and they're real. I mean, restaurants are having a hard time hiring people, but almost the conversation almost always goes back to culture, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah. Um, now, uh, your culture, from what I'm hearing, flows from your personal values. Um, you know, this, 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 these are the kind of people you are. These are your, this is your moral compass. And, and uh are you at the point now where, you know, if, if I was interviewing for a job in your, in your business and say, what's the culture of your business? Um, because I'm getting the sense, I, I have relatively young, young adult kids, twenties. Um, those things are important to them. You know, who am I working for? What, what, what is, 
what is the attitude here? You know, what is my role? Am I, am I, am I valued here? Are you able now, you know, to, to step back and say, okay, we've created this culture based on our personal values and what we believe in as human beings, but now it's created this environment that has meant people want to stay with us. How, how do you, how do you, I'd say, how do you package that? How do you, how do you express it? So for us, we, we have seven cultures. That, we have a culture handbook. Yeah, we have a culture handbook. Go through during their orientation pro- process. The very first thing that they go through is going through the seven cultures. And within that 10-day training, we also reiterate the seven cultures. And some of the things on there that we always repeat over and over again is open and honest communication, the ability to sympathize for others, um, maintaining a family uh, environment. So of course we try to tell our team not to get emotional, not to take things personally. Um, and there's in a high level stress environment, like a restaurant, you know, I am, it might seem like I'm yelling at you, but I'm really not yelling at you. I just need to get it done kind of thing. So we built them to have a stronger mental and emotional um, ability to not take, not to be too sensitive. And on top of that is, you know, we always require them to improve 1% each day. And, you know, every relationship, whether you're working with someone or your customers, you always have to improve some way or another, whether you know a customer's name or you, you learn about something new about your coworker. So when you build that relationship and you have regulars that come in and ask for you or your, your coworkers always like to work with you, whatever it is, we found that that motivates the team better and they're happier. They the moment they step step foot into Roostar, they're happy because they know that they're going to go through the day positive, happy. And we're always mentioning that all day, every day, positive environment. We don't like any negativity. We try to make sure that we meet and it starts from us first. You know, we have to walk in there happy, excited, you know, refreshed, rejuvenated before we can expect that from our team. So the cultures is really, we're open for you to make mistakes just as you learn from them. Most companies might penalize you. Oh, you forgot to take a payment for this $100 transaction. It's going to come out of your paycheck. But we try not to kind of penalize them when they make a mistake because, you know, then you lose that, what is it you always say? You lose that ability for them to kind of make the mistakes then when they do. Yeah, geometrically, the more mistakes they make, the more they'll learn. Right. The more they Sure. Right, so but if they're always like fearful, mistakes, yeah. yeah, and if they do make mistakes and you're always penalizing them, then they will never tell you what they've done and that you don't want that either because then that's a trust issue too. So we try to be a little bit more understanding in that aspect. And as long as they learn from it, we're okay. Wow. And a culture flowing from yeah. a value statement. Wow. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Barry, I think we have been um, – uh, we've just been blessed by this uh, past hour because listening to this couple uh, talk about their commitment and how they try to exercise their roles through the business um, makes me want to grab anyone who's in a startup process and see if they just couldn't walk in your shadows uh, so that they could realize that, you know, being small, starting with one, then having two, okay, now soon to have three, um, doesn't mean that you don't win by not thinking big uh, because the um, the culture that you've embraced, the working principles um, seem to have paid off very well for you. And it is not the typical type of mentality that we'll see a lot 
in somebody who has one store or two stores. So you're to be commended on your approach Absolutely. to how you operate. And, um, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why I've been so blessed with good people and extremely low turnover and happy customers. I think it's because of that, that you, um, you know, uh, uh, hopefully we'll have more likelihood of having tremendous success in the future. And also the wisdom to understand how important it is to have a good quality of life. Uh, my, my prediction, you not only have a tremendous, continue to have a tremendously successful business, but you have a very good life as well. And, and, and that, uh, that's very uh, encouraging to me anyway. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Chris. Really, really appreciate it. You are too kind. Thanks a mm -hmm. lot. Well, Ronnie, Linda, I think we need to wrap up. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, Barry and I have certainly enjoyed this time. Yeah, I think absolutely. our listeners certainly profited from the, your pearls of wisdom, and we could go on forever, but actually our time is running out. Uh, I would like to remind people, though, that if they could, um, they could reach out to you. If they'd like to learn more about you two, your concept, they could certainly start by going to your website, MyRoostar, and that's R-O-O-S-T-A-R.com, right? Yes. So people, please feel free to, uh, to do so. Thanks again for today. Um, thank you, Barry. Thank you all Everyone. and uh, be well and look forward to hearing more about your success as it goes on. Thank you. Thanks everyone for uh, joining us and hope to uh, catch up on another episode of The Corner Booth real soon. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.